How you doing? Feeling good? High energy? I, I just love this weather. I, I just, I told Bonnie the other day, it's September, but it, it's going to be getting, you know, cold in the next few months. And I just want to breathe all this in. And, and so enjoy it while you have it. Enjoy it while you have it. Today's really fun. We are in between series, and we are a church that loves going through books of the Bible. We just finished Psalms. It was wonderful. And we, we get to have a kind of standalone, and so it's kind of like whoever the speaker is gets to pick whatever they want to talk about. So, man, I'm pumped. I, I'm just, sometimes I don't like the topics I get. I look at the series, and I'm like, oh, I'm on that weekend. Ah! I don't like that one. <laughs> That's going to be hard, you know. So these are a lot more fun when you kind of get to pick something that, that God is working. He's working on me with what I'm going to tell you. And it has to do with awkward moments where your faith bumps into a world without faith. Honesty, integrity, character, the qualities of godliness without being too religious or weird about it. Because holiness can go bad fast. You know what I'm saying? When holiness becomes legalism, and you have a list of rules, and all of a sudden, I grew up with some of those rules. My mom and, and I, we've laughed about it now in our family, but man, it was, it was, a, it was a tough deal. I, I learned more about the things I couldn't do than the things I could do. How many of you grew up like that? It's like, nope, can't do that. No, nope, we're Christians. We don't do that. Come out and be separate from the world, right? <laughs> right. See, I can do it. I can do it. Uh, but it's this idea that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to kind of separate everything, say goodbye to all your old friends, your old ways, your old hangout places, and you're starting over a new life. There's truth to that. But too many times, we as believers abandon people who need us. Jesus came to reach people who need, need God. So I'm, I'm challenged by this. I don't, I don't, I get, look, I'm just being honest. As a pastor, I get a lot of awkward moments. Because I, I remember years ago, one of my worst ones, I did not know what to do. And I, I was I was really into golf at the time, and now I'm more into like grandkids, but, but I still love golf. But um, I, I was trying to get nine holes in at Collindale, and so I had a really early tee time. And there are these three old retired guys that play every Monday through Thursday at the same time, like 6 a.m. I didn't know them, but they meet there. So they put me as a, a single with those three guys. And so I'm walking to the tee box, and here, you know, they're chatting and talking and talking about yesterday. And I'm like, you guys play? Yeah, we play every day, and we're all retired. And when this guy comes up to me and starts telling me the filthiest joke <laughs> on the planet. I mean, the, just the way it started. I could never even say how it started from this point. It was so bad. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I can't laugh at this joke, but yet I don't want to burn a bridge my first 10 seconds with this guy what if god sent me to this freedom cuz to this threesome today cuz they need god you know it was like this is this and all this stuff is going through my brain and so i just try to kind of halfway ignore it no okay you know i'm getting my club out he's walking down the fairway telling me another joke tell me he's got all these jokes i think it's cuz i'm the new guy he could use all of his old jokes you know and and 
about the fifth hole, it always happens. So what do you do anyway? <laughs> always, always. I'm a plumber. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor, you know, and then that just shuts it down. It was, that, so I had a nice four holes left that I didn't have to hear from this guy. Those are awkward moments. And we are going to look at one of the most awkward moments in the Bible. We can't even do it justice because we don't understand the culture that was going on when you think of Matthew the tax collector and Jesus the Son of God. Those two shall never meet. Righteousness and filth of the world, dishonesty, bribery, lying, cheating, everything God isn't, Matthew was. And so I think it's, it's important for us to just be open in our own hearts of where we are on this line of holiness, secularism. Where does God want us in our understanding of how to reach out to people who don't believe like we do? Can I be their friend? Should I leave? Do I need to know when to leave the party? You know what I'm saying? All these things matter. So number one in your outline, if you're following along, either in your app or we have outlines printed now out in the back, um, what about those tax collectors? What about those tax collectors? We're going we're gonna to talk about them just for a moment in Scripture. This is a story in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read verse 9, at least the first part of it. And this is what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. I, I love that because Jesus starts it. And he was sitting at his tax collector's booth. This is what tax collectors did. And they would find the people in their region and they would tax them. And you had to pay them. So let me tell you why tax collectors were such a big deal in Jesus' day. First of all, they were Jewish. And that created a real obstacle because they taxed their fellow Jewish friends. Well, used to be friends. The rub comes because who's in control of that part of the world during Jesus' time on the earth? The Romans. So here you have a Jewish man who in those days the lines were tight. Jewish people were not even allowed to go in the home of a Gentile. So these are separate living quarters. These are separate lifestyles, separate places. So a tax collector would be taxing their old friends, but they worked for the Roman government. You see the problem here? So it's like, oh, you traitor, you go off, you work for the Roman government, the people who are oppressive and they suppress us and they hate us and, they, and they're like, yeah. And, and here's another thing that's a problem is a tax collector is given a region. It's like a sales rep in a company. You get Idaho and Colorado and, you know. So, so they get this region. And they would go to the people in these homes and they would say, this is your tax for the year. And if you said, no, that's, that's, that's not true. I don't make that much money. I'm not paying that much tax. They would say, yes, it is. Pay it or you're out. You're going to go to jail. And you would want to say, well, I'm going to go to court. But they are the court. <laughs> they are the final say. We're used to a country where you can go talk to someone else and 
you know, let's settle this. That wasn't the case. They said it, you did it, or you paid the price. So, so that's why tax collectors, and the problem is, they did rip people off. They were known to be criminals, legal criminals. Even Zacchaeus, remember him in the Bible, the, little, the short guy who climbs the tree to see Jesus? He was a tax collector. At the end of the party, Jesus went to his house too. At the end of the party, he stands up and says, okay, I'll pay everybody back, all the people I've ripped off. In other words, he's, he's owning the fact that he's been ripping people off. So this is a problem because he's a tax collector. It's an odd relationship. Number two in your outline, this risky invitation that's going to happen right here. Jesus is going to cross a line with a tax collector and invite him into his world. Shouldn't happen, couldn't happen, no way would this happen according to the religious people of the time. Nine, verse nine, the second part. Follow me, Matthew, and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up from his tax booth and started to follow him. Now, most scholars would say this doesn't happen in just one second, like follow me and he leaves everything behind. This happened over days, even weeks. Matthew probably knew who Jesus was, had heard about him, and he gets this invitation and he starts to follow him. This is a fabulous moment. Matthew is being invited in. And what does this say about Jesus? I mean, I'm just, I throw that out there. What does this say about him that he is willing to step across this barrier line in their culture, to build a friendship with someone who is far from God, who is ripping people off, who is despised by the other Jews, especially the Pharisees. They were the legalists. And Jesus does it anyway. It's not going to bode well for Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's, it's partly the reason he ended up dying on the cross is because he ate with sinners. And, and the religious world could not handle that. So how do you and I, how are we going to start handling relationships with people that don't believe like us? What do we do about that? How, how far can we go in that friendship? Because Matthew was stunned at this. I, I, I guarantee you something. Matthew had never had a rabbi invite him to follow them. Never. And some people just... Matthew, I think he was one of those guys that just accepted the reality that his job made him rich, but he wasn't going to have too many friends except other tax collectors. Honestly, that was his life now. I meet people like that. I, I've had the, the joy through my years here in Fort Collins and northern Colorado of serving on a lot of different boards and community service things and Rotary and all kinds of ways that that I've gotten involved in our community, and I've had people who are you know, far from God as my friend, true friend. And, and they'll say things to me, I've heard it through the years, they'll say things like, well, if I came to your church, the roof would cave in. You know, you don't know my life. And I'm like, well, thanks for not coming, because we don't want the roof to cave in. You know? uh, <laughs> but it's always funny to me, because every now and then I'll have, so, have one of them kind of surprise me. And this just happened a few months ago, and one said, this guy said, well, I, I actually visited Timberline uh, a couple weeks ago. And I said, oh, that's what happened to the roof. I said, <laughs> we, I, I think it's imperative for us to understand there are people out there who live 
with a condemnation blanket on them. They do not feel like they are welcome here. They do not feel like Christians would ever give them a chance because the word Christian has just gotten sabotaged. And they don't know who we really are. They think we're just rules people that take away all their fun. And Jesus steps into the middle of this tax collector's life and says, come on, follow me. Let's do this. And I want to say to you today, there might be some scenarios that are awkward for you. Get into some people's lives. Get into some people's lives. You can be a follower of Jesus so long, you don't have one person that needs faith. And that's a challenge for us. So I really hope that you know God wants you. If you've walked in here today and you're one of those looking at the roof because it might cave in, God wants you. God knows your name. He knew you were coming today. We want you here. We're a church that we love people regardless of their lifestyle because they are created in the image of God. And, And it's an awkward tension because I don't affirm every kind of lifestyle but I want to love people in any kind of lifestyle. I want to lead with that. They might reject me for not affirming them or vice versa. I understand that. But I still would rather take the risk and invite people into my life and into my friendship. And that's hard to do. Because sometimes as a believer we say, well, you know, that crosses the line for me and I I don't know if I can do that. I get it. That's why this story is really fascinating to me. Number three, it gets worse. The power of being present in awkward places and what can happen when you say yes. Now, I want to I preface this. Some of you are raising teenagers right now. How many of you are glad you're done with that? You know. um, I love teenagers. This church loves teenagers. And I am so thankful for our, our ministry to young people, middle school and high schoolers and college students. I, I really am. But those of you that are in the middle of raising this, these kids, be in their life. My mom used to say to me, Derry, you're going to become like the people you run with. And then every now and then they would kind of pull, pull me aside and say, that's not a person we want you hanging out with. And I'm like, well, what if I have a chance to witness to them? <laughs> My mom's like, I don't think witnessing is on your mind when you're with her. Her name is Bonnie. Um, She did come to faith, so it all worked out. Look at verse 10. Later, later. I love that word. You guys, that is a big word in this story because it doesn't happen today. Your friendship, your relationship, your time, your golf games, your, your dinners, the people you have over, it doesn't happen in a moment. Later, Matthew trusted Jesus. Jesus had invested in Matthew. I don't know how later it was, but it was later that Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. I love this next line. Along with many other tax collectors and other what? Disreputable sinners. Okay, this isn't my assessment. This is what the Bible says. It's it's the only friends he had. Like I said before, he's stuck. 
And so he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you bring your boys and come on over and meet my world? <laughs> what a night that must have been. Wow. I, I, was, reading, I was reading one uh, very conservative He's really not a theologian, but he had his take on this was the disciples might have been low on money and they just needed some food, so they, they went there to eat. Because <laughs> Jesus shouldn't have been going to this kind of a house. I don't believe that at all. I don't think Jesus was looking for a good barbecue. I think he went to Matthew's house because he wanted to meet Matthew's friends. He wanted salt and light. He wanted light to hit darkness. He wanted to somehow see a stark, drastic difference between how they lived and the righteousness of God. How are people going to experience that if you and I are never in their lives? But you have to be wise. I know when to leave the party. I've been stuck a few times going, this is not good. I need to get out of here. I used to ride motorcycles with a, a pretty rough couple of guys, and, and I believe God did use me in their life, but there came a point when I, I kind of couldn't do that anymore because of the choices that they were making, not, not mine. So I get it. There's, there's a line here. There's some things you need to have in wisdom, but Jesus did this because he cared. He wanted to bring that difference. Have we learned how to avoid the mess that, that people who don't know God have? Have we learned to be so good in our, our happy little church lives that we just don't want to be involved in the mess? Because I'm telling you, there's addiction out there. There's sloppy living. There's people sleeping around with everybody, doing everything under the sun. Have you, been, have you seen what, what's happening in our world with moral decay? Yeah, it's harsh. It's harsh. I never thought I would, I would see this kind of level of just tanking. And, and I can sit back as a pastor or a leader and say, this is horrible. I can't believe we shouldn't be letting this happen and we're going to petition this and we're going to pass a law. That or I can say, how can I get some people in my life that need a Savior? Not as a project, but as a friend. And there's a difference. Jesus would end up investing in Matthew's life for the rest of his life. It wasn't a one-and-done dinner. Think about that. How am I investing in other people's lives? I, I want to say this. It's so important because I've watched people who try to do this, and they think they have to become like others. Like, I don't have to be an alcoholic to minister to an alcoholic. I don't have to go drinking with them to be their buddy. I don't need to be their drinking buddy. You understand what I'm saying? So where's the line between going down that road in a relationship and friendship and, and still living in a, in a way that honors God and pleases God and not compromising that integrity or that, that place? How can I be separate from the world and yet live in the world and be salt and be light? All this is attention. I, I love this little phrase. When you, when you look at a problem, like, is it a problem to be solved or is it a tension to be managed? Because I'm pretty good at problem solving. If it's a problem to be solved, I think I, I'll try to fix it pretty quick. 
But most of these types of things are not problems to be solved. There's not one answer. They're tensions to be managed, and they go on and on and on because every person is different. Every relationship is different. Number four, the religious syndrome. Now, in the religious syndrome that I want to talk about, I'm using religion in a negative way. And I know that pure religion and loving God and loving people is wonderful. But I'm talking more about legalism here when I use this religious system, the the rules, the Pharisees. Look at verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw that Jesus had had Matthew, or he went to his house for dinner with all these other polluted people in their minds, they ask the disciples of Jesus. Now look at what they ask him. Why does your rabbi eat with such scum? This is, this is a true Greek word that is like scumbag. It's the best translation of that word. These Pharisees are asking an honest question. They mean it. They're pulling the disciples aside and saying, guys, I don't get it. Why is your rabbi, rabbis don't do this. Why is he eating with the scum of the earth? These are terrible people. He's not supposed to do that. He's breaking every rule. How religious am I? What goes on in my mind when I see things that I don't personally partake of? How judgmental am I? How legalistic can I become? I, I, I have a lot of stories as a pastor of, of this church. When, how many of you were with us back at, on LeMay in that building over there? Just wave your hand at me. So we had, we had a lot of people. We still have a lot of people that come to faith in our church, and I'm so grateful for that. All shapes and sizes, all different lifestyles, from the prison, from halfway houses, to people that are wealthy, to people find Jesus here. I'm so glad. But we had a movement of God that brought a lot of people in that were not like us as a church. We were kind of a happy family church, and we all kind of believed the same way and, and had some good systems in place. And all of a sudden, you got these girls who have been dancers and nightclub people and these bartenders started coming and and they all smoked they, they all smoked and i remember i remember saying to our facilities guy look man because they would have their last cigarette to come right before they came into church and it left cigarette butts all over the place our whole patio was covered in them and i'm like man let's get that swept up and let's get some ashtrays at least i'll have a place to put them well so we did we put ashtrays and they were very nice ashtrays they were You would not believe the comments I got from people who basically acted like all of a sudden I was the Antichrist. Because I put ashtrays. Don't you know you are promoting smoking? By putting an ashtray here? Like, I don't know about you. When I see an ashtray, I don't have a temptation to pull out a cigarette. I don't. I just don't. I realize I've never smoked. Many of you probably do smoke. I, people say to me all the time, like, like will, coke, will smoking keep you out of heaven? I'm like, no, I don't think it will. I think it will get you there way sooner than you're supposed to be there. It is not a good habit. But that's the kind of stuff. That's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You see someone who has a different preference about what they wear. And we had people coming in. We had women coming in brawless. 
And I had ladies in our church saying, this is inappropriate. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had just a lot of different things. And, and people who didn't look like us, they didn't talk like us, they didn't understand what our values were. And all of a sudden, it's kind of an us and them. And they started sitting on one side of the church and others were sitting on the other. It was not a great situation. And and I wanted us to mingle, but that's the tension I'm talking. That's the awkwardness that I'm talking about. We still have some of that stuff today when we get people who I had a I had a little gal right out here at this campus that I was I was outside. It was a summer day just like today, and she came walking up and she had so many facial piercings. I mean her, her eyebrows just had rows of rings and nose and, and lips. It was it was amazing. Her ears just I don't know how many piercings she said, and I just looked at her. I said, wow. I said, tell me about those piercings. That's amazing. She said, oh, I, I get one everywhere I travel. This one's from Paris. This one's from, you know, and I'm like, you travel a lot. She said, I do travel a lot, and we laughed about it. And she said, um, I said, my name is Derry. She had no idea who I was. I knew she was new. She said, I'm really nervous today. And I said, what do you mean you're nervous? And she said, because I haven't been to church since I was like 10 years old. And this friend of mine said that I would be welcome at this church. And then her phone rang, and her friend was standing, and, and she takes her phone down, and she says, is this the west main entrance? And I said, yes, it is, right over here. And she said, my friend's in there. I got to go, but I'm pretty nervous. And I said, why are you nervous? And she, this, is, this is her line almost exactly, because the Christians I know hate me. Because of all of her piercings. And when she turned to walk to that door over there, I just prayed this little prayer. It was like, please, God, don't have some Christian give her that look. You know, the disdain look. I'm holy, you're not. The judgment look. And you didn't. Thank you. She was in our church for years, moved to another state. She found the Lord because Christians were not legalistic and they weren't stuck. I don't, I'm not, I'm not. I've had, I've had comments, you know, like I had a lady say to me, almost every pastor at our church has facial hair and I just can't stand it. <laughs> I said, are you talking about Pastor Carrie or? <laughs> she doesn't have facial hair. But. <laughs> I know who she's talking about. Oh, these beards. I think people are going to be surprised like when they get to heaven and they go, oh, Jesus has a beard. <laughs> Whoa. He's not white. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> Number five. We must remain passionate to our true purpose. 
this is so important. And I, I, this is my favorite. It's one of my favorite little passages, actually, in the book of Matthew, the way Jesus says it. It's very poetic, especially in its original language, but it even translates pretty poetic into English, especially the last part. So when Jesus heard this about the complaining of the Pharisees, the religious people who didn't like that he was hanging out with people that weren't like them, he says this, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick, sick people do. Then he added, now, go and learn from the meaning of this scripture, an Old Testament passage. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, I want you to be relevant in the now with people who are hurting instead of doing your little duty every day. And I love this last statement. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Praise God. You guys, that's why Timberline exists. We, we have a passion to share the life and love of Jesus. That is our statement as a church to spend our lives sharing the life and love of Jesus. Are we doing that? I'm, I'm convicted. I'm prayerful. Who's in my life? Not that's a project. That's not what we're talking about. But who's a real person who God has put there so I can build a friendship and later, in time, in a year, in a month, in five years, whenever, something changes. Let's be a bridge to our community. That's why we open up this building to community events. You know, so many people meet here. It's crazy. COVID, obviously, we couldn't do that. But one of the purposes of why we built this facility, I was hearing the other day that before COVID hit, there would be year after year when we would have between 60 and 70,000 different people in the course of a year booking this facility for meetings and and evenings and different things and the school district and Larimer County. Matter of fact, you're going to see tomorrow or Tuesday, we, we have given our east side of our parking lot on the back side as the Fort Collins COVID testing site. Larimer County is moving in over there. And that's what we do. And so, because we can, we have just been approved to be a rescue building for the floods that were happening. We've almost got called on it, but we went through the training so that we can be a shelter for people who need to be evacuated. Why? Because we want to build a bridge. We want to go to their house. Who's coming to your house? Who's coming to my house? Let's have dinner there. Let's let God put something in us that is bigger than ourselves. I want you to consider three things as I wrap this up. Number one is how religious am I? Start with that this week. Because most people, those Pharisees would have never said they were, they were wrong. They would have never, ever admitted that they didn't get it right. That's how religious people are. They justify this action because it's the right, I'm drawing a line in the sand. This is principle. When so many of the things they're drawing, drawing a line in have nothing to do with biblical truth. There's some Bible truth you better draw a line in the sand. Thou shalt not murder is pretty direct. You say, well, I don't, I'm not convicted when I murder someone. I'm okay with it. Well, 
Sorry, you don't get to be okay with it. That's an absolute in Scripture. But so many of the petty rules that we have in churches across the world and people who claim the name of Christ are not rules that come from the Bible. They're rules that are self-made for self-preservation because they want people to be like them, not like Jesus. Number two, who invites me in? Am I living my life in a way that I even am appealing to someone who doesn't know God? Can I offer friendship? Think about that. I want to remind you of something. This is not a, this is not a criticism. It's just a truth. Jesus came to your house. At some point in time, he came to your house. You didn't have it all together either. You still don't. I sure don't. How many of you are still a work in process? <laughs> Hopefully progress. Number three, what is my next step? What, what are the groups I have in my life, and how, how can I make sure that I'm still being light? I'm not going to tackle somebody and get in their face and thump them with a Bible. That's not going to work. But I'm going to love people thoroughly in their pain. And when their life begins to fall apart, they just might want to know more about this Jesus who's changed my life, who came to my house for dinner. <laughs> not for the food, but for the person. He wants to come to your house if you don't know him today. Those of you online, I'm talking to you all over the world, actually. God bless you. Open your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I want you to purge this legalism out of me, anything that, uh, that I have in me that I don't see in myself. I need you to show me today. God's just prompting you. Maybe he's putting some specifics in your mind or your life and you're thinking, man, I, I've become a little bit of that. I don't, I don't want that. I'm, I'm kind of judgmental with people who talk like that or do that or dress like that. I, I, need to, I need to pay attention to where my mind is. Am I loving to people or do I give them that look? feeling justified just right now where you are between you and God just say to the Lord this is, this is real for me today and I want you to help me with it I want to be a bridge Lord we want to be a bridge today I just pray that every one of us would, would yield to you and say show us how to be a bridge to people that don't know you that we can be salt and light in a world that is so dark. Show us how to do that. Show us how to, how to navigate those awkward, awkward moments, knowing there will be some, but not running away. And finally, if you're here today without Jesus, he's knocking on your heart. He wants to come to your house right now. Let him in. Let him know you. Matthew followed him before he changed. So many people think, well, I need to get my life cleaned up. God might like me then. No, it, no, it has nothing to do with you fixing yourself. This has to do with you saying yes to follow him and then 
being on a journey with Him, that'll bring good, healthy changes in your life. Lord, we say yes today to follow you. Just tell Him right now, I say yes today, Lord, if that's you. We thank you. We praise your name forever. Thank you for Matthew. <laughs> thank you that he became a, an amazing follower of you. All because of a dinner party at his house. In Jesus' name, amen.